we'll look to have this week and next week in completing it. As we find our way to Revelation, we're just a reminder that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, because it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian to reach the whole world, as the old saying goes. And so we'll be in John chapter 7 this evening, if you want to read ahead before you come out. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me, John said, and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, a holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. And then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, uh, of an angel. And the construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like uh, clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, chesaldoni, the fourth emerald, uh, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth uh, sardius, the seventh chrysolite, uh, the eighth beryl, uh, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb in its, uh, is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth shall, uh, will bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall, shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written uh, in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding forth from the throne of God uh, and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, the leaves of the trees, uh, tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants will serve Him. 
And then they, they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that Your Word never returns void. Thank You that it really is alive and powerful, always doing something in our lives and uh, in the way that it works in fashioning our thinking, fashioning our emotions, and, and uh, most of all, fashioning how we process things and building up our spirit and encouraging us in that realm. And we pray that you would use your word this morning by your Holy Spirit to uh, produce something eternal in each one of us from this passage today. And we pray for this miracle of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We remember from the last time we were together dealing with uh, this very same subject, and this is uh, part two of uh, looking at the new heaven and a new uh, earth, uh, that we come here now to the capstone of uh, the end times uh, prophecy, the prophetic history, and God's future creation of a new heaven and of a new earth. This final stage is going to bring an end to all of the fallenness uh, introduced into mankind, but not only into mankind, but also into the creation itself by virtue of the fall or the sin of Adam and Eve and in the Garden of Eden. And last time we studied in verse, verses 1 through 8, we learned of this new heaven and a new earth, that this creation of, uh, of the new heaven and earth is going to require uh, the passing away uh, of the first heaven and earth, the physical earth and universe that we occupy now. And that this new earth will... Uh, have no seas on it, however it will not be devoid of, of water entirely, uh, that the capital of the new uh, earth will be New Jerusalem, and that eternity, in eternity we're going to enjoy an intimacy with God that we have never ever uh, known before, and an access to God we've never known before. And then finally we learn that death and sorrow, crying, pain, and tears will be no more. Uh, no one will ever experience those things again. And so the Apostle John now, he continues his description of a new heaven and a new earth by returning to the subject of the, the new Jerusalem. Now when we look at this, you can feel like it, especially if this is your first time in taking a look at this in the Bible, it can feel like we've uh, uh, entered into a, a Monday morning meeting in an architect's office or an engineer's office. And those of you who are a little bit right-brained and artistic, this can seem like a, a little bit... Um, uh, 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 takes a lot of concentration or a detail that you're not really interested in, but um, you will be interested in it one day and, and uh, of course today as well. I think a better way to look at this than just kind of like uh, these are architectural uh, drawings or renderings of, of what are one day going to be our eternal portion. If you've ever traveled to any major city in the United States or in the world, typically one of the things that you can book a ticket for is a, 
uh, a city tour bus that will then take you all around the, the city. It will show you the highlights uh, of the city and, um, and, uh, and, and the different things that nobody that goes through the city would, would want to miss. And uh, if you've ever been on one of those city tour buses, you realize that every uh, single commentator or every single guide, tour guide on them, they're all budding comedians, uh, which I enjoy, by the way. But those, those uh, city tours are not meant to be exhaustive at all in terms of bringing out the city's history or bringing out the landmarks of the city. But they're just intent upon giving us enough background and enough information about the city that we can kind of orient ourselves to some degree and then we can begin to appreciate uh, all that the city has to offer us for uh, further investigation uh, and, uh, and, and exploration of it. And so here uh, in John, uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through chapter 5 of verse 22, John gives us that kind of an overview. He is the guide on this trip, overview of the new heaven and the new earth, uh, minus the jokes. You notice that in verse 9 that John was invited by one of the angels who was, was associated with uh, the seven bold judgments to come and see the bride, the Lamb's wife. And again, as uh, John did in verse 2, uh, the new Jerusalem, he likens it to one of the most beautiful things in life, a bride on her wedding day. So don't under, misunderstand, as some people do, from verse 9, that somehow the New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. It's not, uh, New Jerusalem is not the bride of Christ. It is uh, not, uh, uh, the, the church is the bride uh, of Christ. Nobody marries a city, uh, though today nothing would surprise us anymore. So it's referred to as the bride, the lamb's wife, in the sense that uh, the bride, the lamb's wife, the church occupies uh, it. She will inhabit it. We will inhabit it. It will be our home. In verse 10, John was then carried away by the Spirit to this high mountain, we're told, in order to witness the descent now of this new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem descends to what is a new heaven and a new earth, at that point and so it descends from heaven it's a gift from God it's an expression of his love and his his grace toward us almost certainly from the description that is given is that this new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and then it uh, it, it, it fixes itself upon uh, this new earth in some way there are some people believe that it kind of orbits the earth and um, and, and and that may, may very well be, but uh, it seems best to recognize that it's going to rest upon the new earth. You notice in verse 11 that it will have the glory of God. So in the Old Testament, one of the great uh, things as we would read through the Old Testament is these times where God would show up in all of His glory, His Shekinah glory, the dedicating 
uh, of the tabernacle, the de de uh, dedicating uh, of the temple. And here we see that our eternal portion is going to be the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, what people hope for, what they long for to maybe experience one time in their life is the uh, people of God now uh, will be uh, our, our portion uh, forever and ever. The fullness, the absolute fullness of His presence in His glory. Concerning her light, we're told in verse 11, that her light was like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So John is he's giving us, he's leading us on the tour, and he says, now uh, make note of, of her light here. And uh, the thing that he notices here is the, the city just radiates light, and the beauty of it uh, just amazes him. He's got a comment uh, related to it. Now, w what we know uh, as the jasper stone today is not clear as crystal. It's, it's opaque and and it's not clear, but the New Jerusalem will be clear. Um, in the first century, it's interesting, at the time of, of the Old Testament and even in the writing of the New Testament, uh, diamonds were not known as a jewel. They existed and, and for the most part were in use in India, um, and they were used uncut, perhaps in jewelry or these different kinds of things, but it wouldn't be until much later uh, that people would begin to cut jewelry and uh, diamonds to use them as jewels and also uh, in, uh, for technology. In fact, that would begin to happen in earnest only in the 1800s in, in Germany and in, in Europe. And so a diamond was really unknown uh, to uh, the Middle East in those, uh, uh, those days. And so uh, if they had been, perhaps John would have described it as being like a, a beautifully cut diamond. And if you ever see a beautifully cut diamond, one of the things about it, the beauty of it is how, how it, light, it reacts to light and all of the different lights, the light that comes uh, off, of, off of it and radiating in all directions. Concerning her walls and her gates of this city, John wants us to know a little bit about that. And so, verses 12 through 17, this uh, New Jerusalem is going to have a great high wall uh, at the outer edge of, of the city. In verse 12, and uh, the walls and the gates, they, are, they represent protection. It's not that we're going to need at this time any kind of protection from uh, from enemies or uh, anything like that. Uh, but I think what it, it speaks of is we'll see in just a, a few moments where even the gates of the city are left open. So it isn't for security uh, or that somehow there's going to be an attack or anything like that. I think it's just going to be a visual reminder of our uh, absolute safety in this eternal state. You think about, um, uh, and I don't know how much any of you keep up with the news, I think even the most uh, zealous of us uh, are uh, waning in our ability to absorb what's on the news uh, every day. But uh, crime is a, a real problem in our country. And, um, uh, and so you see all of the crime that, that goes on and you see how, um, it's, it's unfortunate to me to see how uh, government in terms of it, it really has two responsibilities, to pr main responsibilities, and that is to protect its citizens from attack from without 
and then also from attack from within the country, citizen upon citizen. And so when they fail to keep their role, then citizens, citizens are not stupid, they realize they're going to have to protect themselves. And so people get very shocked that our country is arming itself at, at an uh, unprecedented rate, but it's simply because government is failing to do what it ought to do, and people feel that they must take that responsibility for themselves. And so you think about what we do on a daily basis in order to uh, think about our own safety or to protect uh, our, ourselves and uh, uh, that we have to go through physically and mentally in, a, in an attempt to ensure our safety in this world. You've got safe uh, self-defense classes, you've got pepper spray, guns, security systems, you avoid certain places at certain times and certain places all of the time. There'll be none of that uh, in heaven. And there'll be no failure in, in that, uh, that government of all, at all or that environment. We're told in verse 12 that her four walls will have 12 gates and that she'll have 12 angels at the gates that, uh, uh, that constitute that outer wall. And so again, uh, these angels probably communicating, certainly not there for the purposes of security, but communicating visually the security of the situation and and maybe it's if you've ever, uh, you know, wanted to uh, go to some kind of a high-end hotel in some major city or uh, if you ever were to buy a condominium in some tower somewhere uh, that cost a fortune, uh, then uh, maybe these angels are going to be like a doorman uh, in, in those kind of, of environments and just an added blessing to the situation. Each of the gates, we're told in verse 12, will have a name written on them. And uh, what we've written on them uh, uh, sequentially will be uh, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so you'll be able to enter in through the Joseph gate or uh, the Benjamin gate or the Judah gate or the Reuben gate. I guess the Delis will be located there. And uh, so they'll all be labeled in this way. And what, the beautiful thing about this is that this is going to be an acknowledgement of the Old Testament saints and, the old t and their faithfulness to God. Those who were saved uh, by faith and looking ahead to the Messiah uh, as the, the means of salvation in the same way that we as New Testament uh, saints, Christians, look back upon uh, Jesus in faith for salvation. In verse 14, the four walls of the city are going to have 12 foundations and each foundation uh, bearing the name of one of the 12 apostles. And so we'll have the 12 tribes of Israel represented Old Testament uh, believers. And then here we're going to have uh, the apostles of the New Testament represented, you know, just foundationally in this uh, city. And so I think this, all of this, uh, their uh, names, uh, each of the foundations of the city, the 12 foundations, are bearing the names of, uh, of one of the 12 apostles, witnessing to, uh, of course, the foundational place that the 12 apostles had in establishing the early church. When it talks about the 12, um, it, it is talking about the apostles corporately. And so 
There won't be any uh, foundation named uh, with Judas's name on it, Judas Iscariot, but uh, of course the Apostle uh, Paul. So you think about the Apostles, 11 out of the 12 of them died martyrs' deaths. They were largely despised, uh, lightly esteemed by the world in their faithfulness uh, in that foundational period of the church, which we continue to enjoy uh, to this very day, the blessings of that. And no matter how despised they might have been by the world, whatever kind of difficulty and hardship they went through to be faithful uh, in all of it, God noticed their sacrifice and uh, He will not forget. And this is one of the ways that He will make it eternally known. Between the gates and the foundations, the new Jerusalem uh, will have uh, built uh, into it is, is a reminder here of, of the salvation, the fact that salvation, both Old Testament and New Testament, has always been entirely focused uh, upon Jesus Himself, and that, uh, and that He has, was the subject of the Bible uh, all along. You notice in verse 15, the measurements of the city uh, is given to us through verse 17, its gates and its walls. And so verse 15, the angel uh, with John had a gold reed with which to measure. The city is laid out, verse 16, as a gigantic cube. And so its height, its breadth, its length, uh, they're all uh, equal, and they all measure 12,000 furlongs. And so it's going to be a cube, just like the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, just like the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament temple. And so... Uh, this uh, new Jerusalem is going to be a, a holy place. When it gives us the measurements of 12,000 furlongs, uh, that's a distance of about 1,400 miles. So its height and its depth and its length are going to be 1,400 miles. That's the distance uh, that's equivalent to the distance between the Canadian border to the Gulf of Mexico and then from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to Colorado. So uh, the size of two-thirds of the United States of America. And remember that it won't just be in terms of its length and its, and its breadth, but also in terms of, of its height. And so it's going to be absolutely massive. So if you're wondering uh, if you're going to be uh, residing in a, a studio apartment where the bed folds out of the wall, uh, like my first apartment for eternity, now there's going to be plenty of room for everyone uh, there. The thickness of the wall of the city is, uh, will measure 144 uh, cubits or 215 feet. That's a thick wall. In verse 18, we're told that the building materials uh, are described for us as John continues the tour. Uh, he, the building materials making up the wall, the city, the foundations, and the gates. The material of that uh, 216 foot thick wall in verse 18 uh, is going to be jasper, it's going to be clear. Imagine a wall, we think about putting a wall in maybe uh, in, in a, around our yard or something like that, and uh, we think about uh, redwood, uh, you may think about a basalite block if you've got a little bit more for the budget, but I've never seen any jasper uh, or diamond uh, walls. 
uh, around anything, much less being 216 feet uh, thick. You notice the construction then of the city. So he moves from the wall in verse 18 now to the construction of the city itself. It's going to be pure gold without any impurity in the gold at all as you might expect. And so it will be as transparent as glass. He then moves to the foundation uh, of the wall, uh, uh, walls of the city and that is, this is going to be the foundation under the city uh, itself are going to be made up entirely of precious stones, which are listed for us there in verses 19 and 20. So the stones that are listed are jasper, so clear, uh, sapphire, uh, blue, uh, chalcedony, which is a green or a, a bl greenish blue with stripes of other colors in it, uh, emerald, which is a bright green, sardonyx, which is red and white, uh, sardius stone, which is ruby red, uh, chrysolite is a golden yellow color, uh, and uh, uh, beryl, which is sea green, uh, topaz is a transparent yellow green, uh, chrysophrase, uh, whatever that is properly pronounced, uh, that's another green. Uh, jacinth is uh, violet. Amethyst is uh, purple. So I, I, I don't think that God is providing John and us with like a, merely with a construction list of, of the materials here that are going to um, constitute this foundation uh, with the idea that we're going to sit down and we're going to try and envision all of this in our minds. I mean, you can go ahead and do that. I think the whole thing is just designed to absolutely blow our minds in, in terms of just the, the overwhelming us with the description in order to just simply communicate to us as uh, uh, God's people that heaven is going to be more beautiful than anything we could have, can ever imagine. It's going to be stunningly beautiful. It's going to be ir ir uh, undescribably uh, beautiful. It'll possess a beauty beyond anything we have ever known. Now you think about these, uh, these gems, these precious stones. If we can get just one little small piece of these gems and make it a part of a piece of jewelry, then that jewelry becomes uh, invaluable to us, or certainly very, very valuable, a prized possession. And yet here God is, is saying that it's, these kind of things are going to be used for the foundation of the new Jerusalem. And so you're going to have slabs of these precious stones, of these materials, that will be 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles in size. And we don't even, aren't even told what the thickness of them uh, will, will be. Uh, I am, am convinced that if we, and one day we will, as we would just, you know, explore even the, the heavens as they are today, to say nothing of a, of a new heavens, that I wouldn't be surprised if we find uh, there were entire planets out there made of uh, of gold or made of these kind of, of precious stones. Now, I, I personally, I like uh, gardening and I like um, birds. So I have become Mr. Wilson uh, out of the um, 
Venice the Menace comic book, except for the fact that I've always enjoyed uh, those things. Last summer before this one, we just left, Karen and I, my wife, we went up to Spokane to visit some friends there. They've got these beautiful parks, and so we went to this one uh, Duncan Garden that was there, these beautiful flowers outside, uh, just magnificent. But they also then had a conservatory on the grounds that were just these greenhouses in, in massive uh, that we went into, and they had every kind of flower, every kind of plant you could imagine uh, in these different sections. And you, you no know, sooner move from one plant to the next, and you're calling, I'm calling her over to come and look at this one, and she's calling me over to look at what she's looking at, and then with our guests. I mean, it's just jaw-dropping the beauty that is just in a plant. And, and uh, you, you think about, um, you don't have to go up to Spokane to see it, uh, to look at the magnificence of the different colors, the different textures, um, how uh, magnificent a single flower is. All you have to do is go to a florist shop and pop in and look at what's there or, or go and get one of those bouquets at, and, and look at them at Trader Joe's. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be high-end stuff. And the lowest-end stuff is, is, is remarkable in, in its beauty. I like birds because of the, the same reason. I mean, you look at um, their colors, you look at how the colors blend, the differences of them and all, and you just can't see them without admiring them and then admiring uh, their Creator. And so, uh, if God has invested this kind of detail and this kind of uh, beauty into birds uh, and, and, and into clothing even the, the grass of the field, which he, Jesus said today is and tomorrow was thrown into the oven. Imagine how awesome the beauty is going to be that He's going to invest in what He creates uh, uh, for eternity. And so it isn't just nature. It's, it's the beauty that's in buildings. It's the beauty that's in uh, design and the engineering involved, uh, the expression of His creativity in, in that way uh, as well in His artistic expression. I have a lot of um, coffee table uh, books from a lot of different cities in the world. And um, it's really something to the ones that you can get to and buy one there or just buy one and, and to look at them in some of the most beautiful cities in the world, uh, Venice and Rome and Paris and Jerusalem. And you look at these cities and they're just mind-boggling in their, their diversity and in their beauty, but nothing's going to compare to this new Jerusalem. We can't, nothing can even uh, hardly prepare us uh, for the beauty of it. In verse 21, we're told the materials uh, of the 12 gates, uh, uh, 12 pearls, uh, each gate is going to be a, a pearl. So evidently, if you like oysters, I don't know where these pearls come from, but I'd rather have a hot dog uh, than oysters, and I don't even like hot dogs uh, that much. I like them a lot, but I don't like what's in them. But Anyway, we don't need to go there. Uh, 
just enjoy your hot dog. And I enjoy my hot dog too. But here you have just this, it's a, just another mind blower here where uh, even the 12 gates of the city are going to be made of, of solid pearl. And so if you've ever heard of heaven, like you'll see it oftentimes in like the comic section of the newspaper. If anybody reads a newspaper anymore, I go online to get to them because I love comics. And, um, and so, the, but you, you'll oftentimes have heaven portrayed as people coming to the pearly gates in order to enter. And this is where that, that imagery comes from out of the Revelation. In verse 21, we're told that the, ma- uh, the street or the main thoroughfare of New Jerusalem uh, is going to be pure gold like uh, transparent glass. And so perhaps you've heard the expression that uh, in heaven, uh, there, uh, God doesn't use asphalt for the streets. I mean, things are so beautiful and, and the priceless value of it that gold is used instead of asphalt. And so uh, this is where you uh, come to understand that. So it will be nice, no potholes. I don't know that we'll be driving anything. Uh, probably a pedestrian uh, road. I'll never forget one time I was in India and um, we were making our way from one section of India to another and we were going overnight on a train and so we, we uh, purchased tickets on a sleeping compartment and, uh, and uh, another pastor and I and, and in walked these uh, two Indian gentlemen who came in to share the compartment with us and we got to talking and all and uh, one of the gentlemen was the equivalent in India of a uh, United States Senator. So not one of a hundred, but one of like 140 in that country. So we got to talking a little bit and he knew we were from the United States and he told us that he had been to the United States just one time. I think he had been uh, in Pennsylvania somewhere. And, and <laughs> it was amazing what came to the forefront of his mind to speak about as impacting him so deeply about the United States. He said, I was amazed at the fact that I could, you had sidewalks there that you could walk on and you didn't have to clean your shoes at the end of every day. Now we get used to sidewalks. And so we get used to these kind of things that are amazing to even the most powerful and influential in other parts of the world. We think about how amazed he will be (laughs) related to heaven. And all of us, even those of us who have uh, grown used to, uh, uh, to, to sidewalks, it's going to be uh, indescribably amazing uh, to us. In verse 22, uh, there's not going to be any temple in the New Jerusalem because the Lord God Almighty and the uh, Lamb are its temple. And so, of course, the Old Testament temple was a picture of the Father and the Son. Um, it, it, it spoke of the presence of God, the Old Testament tabernacle and temple of the presence of God, but everything about the temple Uh, and the sacrifices and the furnishings spoke of Christ. And so, uh, no need for a temple because 
now we'll have the very substance of which the temple represented. God the Father and God the Son uh, will be with them in heaven. There won't be any need for the symbols of the temple anymore. In verse 23, there's no sun or moon in the new heaven. So God the Father and Jesus, they will provide the illumination and the light. And so it will be beautiful. No more electric bells. No more telling the kids to turn the light off. No more fiddling with the thermostat. No more thinking about who has oil and how much they're charging for it. And it's going to be a cold winter in Europe. This is not going to be an easy, uh, easy time for the world and what we're in the middle of. If you've even been in a house in California uh, in the wintertime and you have no source of heat, you don't have to be in Minnesota to uh, have to stay up all night to try and keep yourself warm. And, and so all of these kind of things will, uh, will not even be a thought for us uh, 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 ever again. We know in verse 25 that its gates uh, shall, we're told that it shall never be shut. John on the tour, he makes that known to us. Of course, ancient times, uh, gates were closed at night for the safety uh, of the city, but they're not going to be needed in heaven, the, the closing of them, because there's not going to be any danger there. In verse 26, it'll be a place where the glory and the honor of the nations will be uh, brought. And so in the ancient world, of course, um, uh, all, everything kind of made its way to the capital uh, of whatever the, the empire was or uh, uh, the capital of the country was. And, uh, and so in the new Jerusalem, everyone will come to honor the Lord. Verse 27, it will always be holy. It will never be defiled by sin because uh, only those who were then incapable of sin will inhabit it. And that will be us as Christians with a new body that is made for eternity, our corruption having put on incorruption and our mortal having put on immortality. He goes into chapter 22 here and he describes a little bit further uh, the new heaven and the new earth and specifically uh, uh, the river of life and the tree of life. So he has described uh, the, the new Jerusalem, the only thing, but mostly from the exterior. The only thing he's told us about the interior is that the main thoroughfare is going to be uh, a street of gold. And so you might wonder, uh, well, this is uh, uh, wonderful, but is there going to be any water? Is there going to be any uh, trees or vegetation? And here we get our answer. John saw in verse 1 a pure river uh, of, uh, uh, of water of life. It's described as being pure, uh, clear as crystal. And so the water itself is going to reflect the purity of this uh, heavenly scene. It's going to be a pure place right down to the water. The water is going to uh, flow as a water source from the throne of God and from the Lamb. They are, of course, the source of all, uh, all purity. And, uh, and so all impurity will cease to exist. In verses 2 and 3, John saw the tree of life. And so the mention of the tree of life, it takes us back to Genesis where it was mentioned in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, as being in the uh, midst of uh, the Garden uh, of Eden. And uh, in some way, it played a part 
in perpetuating physical life forever because we're told in, uh, in uh, chapter 3 of Genesis after the fall of Adam and Eve that Adam and Eve in their fallen state were now cut off from that tree of life um, lest they partake and eat of it and live forever in that sinful condition. And so uh, at this time in the future, we'll regain an access to the tree of life that was lost to mankind uh, in Eden. Uh, its location, we're told here, uh, John saw the tree of life. He noticed also that there were many others, more than just one uh, tree in verse 2. And they appear to grow in a center divider in the midst of, of the river that flows down, the, apparently, the street of gold, and then also on each bank uh, of the river. And so you might say, well, that's a little TMI for me, uh, too much information, but there it is right in the Bible. You'll thank me one day. You will thank me. Somebody will, you know, somebody will nudge you and, uh, and they'll say, what in the world is this right here? And you say, it's the tree of life. Where did you go to church? I went to a church there in Modesto, and that pastor couldn't skip a single line in the Bible when he taught it. And so that's what it is. You notice the fruit of it. It bears 12 fruits, each tree bearing its fruit every month, so unique in its ability to, to do this. And so, I mean, you think about fruit, and I also like fruit. This is... I'm bearing my soul to you here today and my interest. You think about um, peaches, you think about grapefruit, oranges, apples, grapes themselves, and how wonderful they are uh, now. And imagine what the fruit will be like in heaven. You notice its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And so, because there isn't going to be any death or disease in heaven, this can't mean that uh, the eating of the fruit or the application of the leaves uh, is somehow required of us to maintain health or uh, eternal life in heaven. I'm inclined to believe that this uh, renewed access that we're going to have to uh, the tree of life now in our perfected state will be kind of a perpetual reminder, a very pleasant reminder, and, and a memorial to the fact that Jesus has completely overwhelmed, He has completely undone every part of the curse that has fallen uh, upon the mankind by the sin of Adam and Eve. And so then to partake of either the fruit or the leaves of the tree will be kind of like a, a personal Lord's Supper. It will be done in, in remembrance of, of Jesus, a celebration of the sacrifice that He made uh, for us to be delivered from such fallenness and then into the beauty of this uh, for eternity and the grace behind uh, that sacrifice. We're told in verse 3 that we will serve God in this new heaven and new earth. And so heaven is not going to be this place of eternal idleness, but it's going to involve serving God. But it isn't going to be that God has these eternal rock piles that... He gives us small little hammers and we're to go uh, break them up into gravel for eternity. It's not going to be anything like that at all. But we won't be idle. He will have purposes and uh, we will serve Him in those purposes uh, there. Idleness 
rarely translates into anything good uh, in this life. Uh, idle hands and idle minds are still the devil's uh, workshop. And so it's a blessing to work. It's a blessing to be productive in life. And it will be true of the life to come. And so you remember in the Garden of Eden, even before the fall of Adam and Eve, they were called to tend the garden. And, uh, and uh, we are made uh, to be productive. I like to be productive. Uh, my idea of heaven is not uh, a couch with uh, a remote to a TV uh, or to a video game or something like that and then an endless supply of, of popcorn and, and chocolate bonbons. Uh, <laughs> how quickly would that get old? And uh, so we will be involved in eternal purposes. We're told in verse 4 that we shall see His face and His name shall be on our foreheads. And so our relationship with God will be no longer through a glass darkly, as Paul put it, but then face to face. Imagine that. Now, we've enjoyed worship this morning, haven't we? It's a, it's a taste of heaven for us. It's a taste of our eternal portion. And uh, if you ever read the Bible or you've ever been in prayer or in some kind of a situation where God just comes on you in such a degree with, uh, with His presence that you almost feel a need to break away from it because it's so intense uh, upon you and the limitations of, of this body and uh, these things that are uh, you know, kind of periodic in our life are going to be uh, eternal and, and unending. And so it's uh, and going to really, really be something what we get to experience in that way. His name will be written, uh, shall be on our foreheads, will be forever identified as belonging to Him. There will be no night there, we're told in verse 5. So no sleeping. Our bodies will not require a night's sleep in order to recover, to take on another day. There won't be a need for lamp or light of the sun. The glory of God will supply the light. And then in verse 5 at the end, His servants shall reign forever and ever. In other words, just the beauty and the glory of all of this will be our portion forever and ever. And so again, you have this doesn't answer every question that we might have about um, heaven and eternity or the new heaven and the new earth. And it certainly doesn't tell us all that we're going to one day uh, know. But like that uh, city bus tour, it gives us what we need to know presently enough to orient ourselves to some degree and then to begin to anticipate what we will uh, investigate much more thoroughly uh, in the future. I'm convinced that one of the reasons uh, that the information about heaven and the hereafter is relatively scant in the Bible in addition to Vance Havner's excellent uh, insight as to why is simply because Presently, we do not have the capacity uh, to understand it. I think he has told us exactly what we need to know and the amount of it that we need to know. And if he went one step over, um, it would mar the picture because somehow we would mess it up. Have you ever, Paul talked about the time that he had either by vision or physically he went up into the third heaven. And uh, he kept them, this to himself for 14 years before 
speaking of it to the church in Corinth, and he said, what I heard there, not what he saw, he said, just what I heard there, it wouldn't be lawful for me to speak about. It wouldn't be lawful for me to attempt to put into human words, all I would do is mar it. Have you ever had somebody um, tell you something about um, a cruise or a vacation or a city or a movie or a book or a work of art ahead of time and they clearly do not have the vocabulary to do justice to what they're trying to describe. And they ruin it. And then one day you pick up the book that their description had turned you away from, or you go to the museum to see the art, or you watch the movie, and then you realize this is a masterpiece. This is incredible. And that numbskull tried to describe this to me and was incapable of doing it, and they marred it for me. And I think that any attempt that we would make on that would just do damage to it. Best to just take the description as it is right here. Take it to the Lord and in the Holy Spirit in our appreciation of it and to know this is what we can handle uh, right now. And what we see right now is uh, with anyone with any kind of, not even an imagination, just any kind of creativity has the sense that, wow, if this is the tip of the iceberg, uh, this is going to be something. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer.